Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. For us, adoption was the only, the only means that we looked into becoming parents. And they said, no, we love the fact that you've done all this fun stuff in your life, but now you're ready to settle down. So actually, it, was, it helped us being same-sex. Any child throws your life upside down. An adopted child will literally flip it. I can't imagine life without them. And I wouldn't want life without them. I can't actually remember life before. So actually, there isn't anything else before. This is it now. This is all I, this is what I have. And this is what I'm really happy with. This is Some Families, the LGBTQ parenting podcast that deep dives into everything from IVF, IUI, adoption, donor conception, unknown donors, unwanted questions, schooling, and so much more. Hosted by me, Stu Oakley. And me, Lottie Jeffs. Every family is unique, of course, but queer parenting brings with it an extra big, fabulous, sprawling mess of options. Whether you are having those awkward first conversations with your partner about wanting kids knee-deep in nappies or trying to navigate those difficult teenage years, some families will answer questions, break down myths and share funny, emotional and true stories from our community. In this episode, we're going to be talking about something that one of us and it's not me. Is no, it me? It's you, Stu. It's oh something God, that do is, I? It's something that you know a lot about, and that is adoption. Uh, so we're going to hear from a dad, another dad, who's um, not only created his family in this way, but also until recently sat on the local adoption panel. Ah, interesting. Yeah, he's a father of two. He's an ex-TV producer, a stay-at-home dad, and his name is Neil. Um, so in our house, my I'm called dad or daddy because I'm the one who's stay-at-home parent. Um, and then my husband is Deeds or Dee as he's now been referred to by our daughter. Um, and that's because we were playing on the word daddy just because we didn't, we weren't really a papa kind of family. For us, adoption was the only, the only means that we looked into becoming parents. We didn't even actually consider surrogacy. It didn't enter into our minds that that'd be what we would do. I'm not quite sure why. I think we were just in this zone. We kind of quite weirdly, both of us independently, had um, this image of our children being um, dual heritage or mixed race. We always had this in our head and we didn't even discuss it. And then we were going through the whole process of the adoption and we were sat there and at one point when we were looking, once we'd been approved, we were looking at 
profiles of children, we were like, oh, that's the kind of person I always imagined just having. And it's like, oh, yeah, so did I. Same thing. And so actually, even in our subconscious, we weren't thinking about that. We adopted our son when he was three and a half, um, and he's now eight. And then two, no, gosh, three years ago, we then got an email um, just headlined um, unborn child. And I ignored it, thinking it was a course, because you get invited on lots of courses when you're doing adoption and when you're post-adoption. And then my husband sent me an email saying, you need to read that email. And it was basically just saying that they had found out that our son's birth mother was pregnant and did we want it? And obviously our first reaction was, yeah, because whatever happens, that child is going to be in our lives because that child is a blood relation of our son. Um, And then we got an email literally three days later saying, oh, baby's been born. (laughs) Are you still interested? And then we started the process. When our daughter came along, we got her at 14 weeks. Suddenly we had this this baby, like, as all babies are, totally dependent on you. And our friends are saying, oh, it's fine, second time around, you know what you're doing. And we're like, no, we've, we've never done this before. And it's really strange to be dealing with two children, but the youngest one is the one you've never dealt with before. And so our poor son kind of got ignored a little bit at the beginning because there was so much that we had to learn on the ground running with this little baby. So when his sister arrived, so he was five when she came along and we were really worried about how it would affect him. The, the positive side of it is that it really helped complete his story. I think there's an element of him where he felt rejected by his birth mother and suddenly this other little baby came along who'd also been rejected by her birth mother. And I think for him it was a bit like, oh, okay, that's, it's not just me. There's someone else in the world. And that's what we really, really hoped for him was that this... The, the, you know, the introduction of his baby sister would really help him, like, complete the circle and kind of make that connection and realise that he's not on his own in the world. It's made it more challenging, but I think it's been good for him. And it will be good in the future. I think the main thing is you, you, you start off and you have to make that decision either on your own or with your partner that you're going to do it. And then you just reach out to whoever you're going to reach out to. We did the local council owned um, the adoption services and then they start sending the information. And... For us, it took about a year to approval and then a year till we were matched with our first child. And so it's a long process. It is a long process. And they ask a lot of you during it, but they ask a lot of you for a reason. Because you're not just taking on a child who just had like a, a normal birth or whatever kind of birth. You are taking on a child that has been taken away from their parents for whatever reason. You show your interest and then they start getting you in. You get assigned a social worker. And then that social worker comes to your house and visits you quite a few times and they ask you so many questions and you fight it and you don't want to do it and then you end up resigning to it, you know, to doing it. And then after that you then, and in between that you have to do loads of courses, there's all this stuff you're asked to do. And then you go to panel and you get approved to be an adopter and then the hard work starts after that. Like the, the first bit's kind of the easy bit because you're answering all the questions, you're being led. The next bit is when you have to be matched with your child and that's when you have to take control yourself and you have to be really proactive and going to things and you get like you get sent a catalogue which is heartbreaking and it's just it's hard it's just it's heartbreaking but you get really cold to it and the first bit of tr- the stuff when you're being interviewed by the social worker it really trains you for this because it hones your mind into what you want and then you show your interest and you hopefully get matched with them and then you go to another panel <laughs> and then you start the next stage the fact that we were the same sex actually helped us 
a lot. It meant you could skip out a whole big stage of the whole process. Because during the process, a big part of it is grieving for the unborn child. Like a lot of it is people making sure that, that heterosexual couples have dealt with the fact that they want to do adoption for a reason. They want to make sure that, you know, you've got over the idea that you're not going to have a birth child. For us, literally, they were like, oh, fine, okay. Literally, they were flipping through the pages. Okay, we can skip that, we can skip that, skip that. Okay, fine, we'll go straight back onto this bit now. And I think we were with Hertfordshire Adoption Services, and they were so pro-everything. And and they they loved us because we were quite boring. Like, I think, you know, we weren't some big jazz hands couple... And we'd apologise and say, oh, we're so boring. We, da, da, da. And they said, no, we love the fact that you've done all this fun stuff in your life, but now you're ready to settle down. So actually it, was, it helped us being same-sex. So with the adopting thing, in this country, there's, it's so anti-discrimination against anyone for race, gender, sexuality, that actually you're not allowed to even consider those options. There's even a thing, I know when I was on the panel, someone would come in, who was of a certain age. I think someone was in their late 40s and they wanted to adopt a baby. And my question was, they're quite old to be adopting a baby. And I got shut down instantly in the meeting. Because they're like, no, you can't discriminate against age. So I think in this country, we are so lucky that there are these rules and regulations in place that mean that you cannot discriminate against someone for any reason, unless it's safeguarding that child. The whole process has to be about the child. Sometimes I think, I've heard, you know, in America, the birth parents can contest it at the last minute. In this country, they can do that as well. So there, there are times, if you do something called early permanence, which is what we did for our daughter, where you get the child before the adoption order's gone through, the parents are still involved. The birth parents are still involved. And so they can keep on fighting it and contesting it right up to the last minute. Luckily, it didn't happen to us, and it doesn't happen very often, because generally there's a really strong reason why that child's been taken away from their birth parents. I've seen lots of things on Facebook. There's Adoption UK is this brilliant charity that helped loads of um, adopters around the country, like pre and post, doing the, the process. And they'll post on Facebook, and there'll be so many people ranting underneath it. We didn't get approved. We weren't allowed to even start. We did this. And then you look at the reasons why they weren't allowed to start. because they hadn't fulfilled criteria, whether it's oh, and you smoke 20 fags a day, why should I not do it? It's like, well, smoking is like a really major factor in adoption that you shouldn't, you're not allowed to smoke at all. And so it's like, you have to want it so much that you won't buy those cigarettes. You'll save the money. You'll get a house with a room big enough for your child. You know, you, you have to want it enough that you're going to change your life because you know what? That child is, any child throws your life upside down. An adopted child will literally flip it all over the place because there's so much stuff going on. And so you have to really, really want it because it's going to change your life so much. Stu, when we were listening to that, I was feeling like it was a really familiar story to you. You're hearing someone else's story that is so like your own. I mean, how did you feel? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it just feels like he was almost reading our story. Mm. Our journey seems like it's been pretty much the same. Mm. And it's just, it is so nice hearing it as well. And I think that's why we like this podcast. Yeah, there's something so reassuring about like, other people going through hearing, the same experience. Yeah, and I was I was listening and I was like, yep, yep, been there, done that, yep, yep, that as well, that as well, and all these different things. I really liked how he talked a lot about how you, you do go through on this thing, like he said about the, the different stages of grief, 
But actually, at the end of it, it's a very positive experience and you get so much out of it. Can you clarify something for me that he mentioned um, Mm. in that interview, which was that in the States and also in this country, birth parents can contest adoptions? Yes. Now, does that mean they can contest the individuals adopting their birth children or does it mean they can contest the very fact of adoption? I'm glad you brought that up because... I feel that's one of those myths out there about adoption, especially for LGBTQ couples or single adopters, that is something that may play on people's mind and is something that a lot of people have discussed in terms of the fact that you can have the birth parents or the family be like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to queer raising my baby right. or, or that kind of thing. And I think what Neil is trying to explain here is that when you so when they adopted their younger daughter they didn't actually adopt her straight away they fostered to adopt um and there are different terminologies to it but the essential meaning of foster to adopt is that you are given a child straight away without going through the full adoption process Mm Uh, with a view that you will adopt them. And the reason they're introducing this within local governments and councils is to reduce the amount of time in care and the different types of homes that children are going through. And it is a risk and it is a big thing for couples, straight or gay, to do because there is always an element of risk. I, My understanding and what I'd really like to... I suppose, reassure certain people is families can contest the adoption as a whole. And that's what they're contesting. And they're contesting and pushing that actually they don't feel their children should be taken away from them. If there is a valid reason that the children should be taken away from them, which is the whole point of the care proceedings, it won't matter whether the the adoptive parents are gay, straight, queer, lesbian. But at the end of the day, if they're in court to be adopted, the parents would have to provide like extreme cases of why mm. they would need to not be adopted with that couple or be adopted at all. Okay. And in terms of discrimination, in terms of how the court view things, the fact that a couple is gay would not come into the uh, equation at all because they can't be discriminatory in that it's way. It's interesting right. what Neil said as well, that actually being a same-sex couple in the adoption process can work in your favour, mm. that you can kind of skip a few steps yeah. of the the whole grieving yeah. for your unborn child was really interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, it's, and it, it's right. And we've talked about this in... That as LGBTQ parents and queer parents, we come to this with a real desire and we know exactly yeah, the path want we want it. on mm. and we know where we're going and we know what we want from from our from our families. Another thing I found really interesting about the interview with Neil was when he was talking about preferences and being put in this sort of impossible situation where you have to tick boxes to say, we want children that are this particular race, this age, this gender. Um, this kind of child, this kind of personality. Like, just wondered what that was like for you and whether you worried about feeling judged for saying that you wanted a particular type of child. I mean, no one judges you, just to really, you know, hammer that home to anybody that's thinking about adoption. You're not judged by the preferences you make, Mm -hmm. uh, but those preferences are really important to help you focus your mind on the the child and the family that you, you, you want to become. And Neil talked about 
the fact that that then also really helped. Once you go through the approval process, you, you're you suddenly inundated with all these profiles. And if you have a very clear, distinct vision, as it were, about the type of child or children that you want, it makes that process so much easier for mm. everybody involved. God, it must be so overwhelming. I mean, I think things have changed slightly since Neil and his partner adopted. Now it is very much online. Right. And we were signed up to this service, which is like an online dating website where you have all these hundreds of children. The agency sent us, I think, about 150 profiles within the space of two weeks to look at. And it is overwhelming. And which is why when you are very clear about what you want, Mm. it makes that process so much easier. Right. I can so imagine. And in answer to something else you asked, it does raise really interesting conversations with your partner about the type of and you you come to a point it sounds like Neil and his partner very much reached a point where they were mutual and my husband and I did the same but there there were certain things that came up that we we found out we did disagree on slightly yeah and it opened up conversations health especially and as part of the selection process as well as you know, their ethnic background or their gender or their age or their sibling group. It's also about their health. Like, would you take a child that was HIV positive? Would you take a child that had hepatitis B? Would you take a child that was blind? Would you take a child that couldn't walk? So we've spoken a lot about the kind of preamble to adopting. I wonder what Neil's experience was of actually getting the child. Absolutely. I'd love to hear what life has been like since the adoption. The switch from doing an actual paid job to doing a much harder unpaid job as a stay-at-home dad was, at the beginning, it was quite easy. And I think the first year was really lovely. Like, I was going to playgroups and I was doing this stuff. And it was tough being the man in the playgroup. But I think after working in TV for 18, 19 years, I was quite used to being the only man in the playgroup. Like, it was kind of quite a normal situation for me. So it didn't matter when they say, okay, mommy, let's bring your children forward or do something, they'd look at me and be like, oh, 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 and daddies, and daddies. And so I went to a phase of just saying, just call me mommy. It's fine. So in playgroups and amongst our friends, I will just let people say, I'd say, just call me mum, it's fine. Because otherwise there's so much fuffing and huffing and puffing and people worry too much about it. And I think I want people just to be chilled, which probably isn't very woke or anything. I should be fighting my corner. <laughs> But actually, do you know, if it makes it easier for everyone else, I can get through this one hour of music box, whatever it is I'm doing. Fine, (laughs) call me mum. We'll hear more from Neil about going from being a jet-setting TV producer to a stay-at-home dad after the break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Stu, what's it like being a gay dad at mother and baby groups? Incredibly awkward. <laughs> Incredibly. Everything is mother. Mum this, mum that. And there's me and my husband sitting there going, mm, we have penises. <laughs> Let's pick up where we left off. With both our children, we try and make sure that we have female influences in their lives. We want to make sure that both of them don't feel they're living in just a solely male environment. Um, and that's on both things. With our son, when he first came to us, we were very conscious of letting him have that interaction with women. And there were some women that he would just really latch on to. And I would go and speak to them to one side and say, look, do you mind if, we, if you let him hug you? Do you mind if you let him kind of come in and cuddle with you? Because I think he needs that, kind of that squidgy kind of mum thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's something I can't give him. There's something about cuddling someone with boobs. Like, it just is. And I could see him. He wanted it. He needed that squidge because I'm quite bony. And so hugging me probably isn't the same effect. And so we let him do that. And, I th- and then he kind of moved on and he kind of got over it. But he needed about two years where he'd be going to women and, and wanting to hug them and hold their hands. And um, now that we've got a daughter, I think we are having to really consider the differences. Because obviously, neither myself or my husband have got or basically any experience of any of those female anatomy or anything like that. So when she first came to us and I was changing her nappy, I'd just be looking like, oh my God, what is this? And so I think we're having to learn really quickly um, about what we do. And then when it came to potty training our daughter, the biggest thing that got me was just the mess. Like with a boy, it just directs it and it's fine. And so when we sat there, and I, like it's just getting used to how the bodies work and how the different bodies are and you know we also make sure that she is with other women as well so um while I'm here my daughter's with a friend of ours who's a childminder and she will go to the toilet in front of her so she'll make sure that our daughter sees her going to the toilet so she sees her bit she sees all the stuff and she apparently our daughter just kind of stare like oh my god oh what's that and even my mother-in-law took her swimming and apparently as she took off her bra uh, our daughter stared at her and just said, what are those? <laughs> and so she had to say to her, they're my boobies. Like, these are my, these are my boobs. Like, you, you know, you'll get some. And she was just like, oh my goodness. And kept trying to touch them. <laughs> and then whenever we now talk about boobies, she'll say, grandma, grandma got boobies. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. My mother-in-law does have boobs. <laughs> there is a conception amongst lots of people that babies need a mum. And... I think even my parents or my mum thought that that's what a baby needs. And so when we took my daughter, when she must have been only about three or four months old, and she was really crying and crying and crying, and my mum took her off me, like, okay, give it to me, I can do it. And she kept on really crying. And then I took her back. And as soon as I took her back, she stopped crying. And my, I saw my mum, she just went, 
oh, she wanted you. And it's like, well, yeah, because I'm her parent. I'm the one, and, and I think that's the thing, even, I think people have to understand that you don't need to have a mum to soothe that baby. They, they want what they want. They want their regular stuff. There's once where my mother-in-law picked up my, my daughter when she was just, just babbling away, and she reached up to stroke her face and then pulled her hand away like, oh, that's weird. And my mother, who's quite incisive, was saying, I think it's because I didn't have stubble. So she reached up, didn't feel stubble on my face and didn't like it and pulled away because she liked stroking my face and stroking the stubble. I think before becoming a parent, I think, I wish I'd known how strong you have to be as an individual. I think that, I think when I stopped work and became a stay-at-home parent, I thought it'd be a, kind of quite an easy ride. I'd be able to, you know, go for coffee, drop the kids off at school and be fine. When actually you have to be so strong, stronger than you are in your own life because you're not fighting just for yourself, you're fighting for your children. It is the best thing I've ever done. It's the most challenging thing I've ever done. And I know, I don't want to be making out that adopted children are harder work than birth children, but our experience has been that it's bloody hard work. It's bloody hard work. And it, it's very personal hard work as well. But I think you also, when you see the changes, it is satisfying. Like my daughter will say, I love you, Daddy, and give you a cuddle and a kiss. And that's when you're like, oh my God, this is so, it's so amazing and it's so worth it. And I pick her up from um, preschool and she'll just shout Daddy and just run across the room and give you a big hug and she'll say, I missed you. And that's when you're like, oh my gosh. It just gets you in a way that nothing else gets you. Children just get used to what they get used to. You know, they don't come into the world of preconceptions. They don't come into the world with an idea of what a family should be. They come into the world and they accept the love that they're given. Oh my God, we love Neil. Oh, I kind of wish he was my dad. Oh, Is that I weird? I know, he's lovely. Very nice man. And very interesting as well. Yes. And I think for me, I think we're on the flip side sometimes with what he was saying. We've been experienced that with um, with our two in the sense of the gender and how you feel that that you want to have that equal representation in their lives. We've had that with our daughter and we try to surround ourselves with lots of female influences and she does have a lot of female influence in her life. But Lottie, have you ever felt that with you and your wife and your daughter in the sense of the the male representation, male representation. in her life? Yeah, it's definitely something we're super conscious of and she is lucky to have um, a lot of men around her. I think it's just like... You know, people worry about, oh, gay parents, like, they're not going to have the other gender influence. But come on, it's yeah. really not hard. And if you're an intelligent, emotionally intelligent person, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast in the first place is, you're going to be really conscious of that. And you're yeah. going to think, how can I, you know, involve these other gendered people in my life? How can I? How but can they be involved in but it's not, it's life? Yeah, and, but with gender yeah. changing as well, it's not just like oh, gender. God, it's it's just like no. I want my daughter to have a diversity of people mm-hmm. around her um, and different kinds of voices and experiences and people that look different. And mm. I think that that's quite, it's almost a, quite an old-fashioned worry now. It's something yeah. I can imagine sort of people of my mum's generation being more concerned about. Well, I think with Neil talking about his mum and the way she just assumed because she was a mother and she was that female. I like that anecdote. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I think and I think that does go to the fact that 
it's about attachment to a person. It's not about gender. It's so about true. who that baby or that child comes, you know, comes into yeah. the life with. And exactly. And then learns with and attaches to and develops with. It's not about whether they're a male or a female. It's about the comfort and the love that they have in their life. Quite right. And actually, I'm a woman and I'm a mother, but I'm quite bony and flat chested. And I don't <laughs> think my daughter was getting much buxom bosom <laughs> snuggling into me. <laughs> so, you know, all of those ideas, like they're changing. Yeah. And it's great that they're changing. But I do think it's funny what he was saying about... Um, kind of coming to terms with his daughter's anatomy because personally I've not ever seen a penis mm -hmm. and if I, I had a, seen a, a, a vagina a, a vagina so, I, I mean I never normally say it. it's 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 a nunny <laughs> you're gonna have to change that as I she know. gets older um it's a new terminology but we're gonna talk a lot more about adoption as well and if you have any questions and you are thinking about adoption then we want to know like what is concerning you what are the myths that you're really worried about mm -hmm. is there anything we can do to try and answer those and yeah and if we can't then we'll, we'll find someone else is. and yeah. we'll bring them in and we'll have a nice little chit chat about it and have a cup of tea exactly. or a glass of wine or a gin so tonight has been various bottles i mean as we've learned <laughs> Some families drink red. Some families drink white. And if you're an expecting family, then you've got a lot of drink to come. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you for listening. Um, we hope you've learned something, found something interesting. Um, and please do get in touch with us if you have anything to say, good or bad. Um, all of the details are in the show notes. Um, I'm going home. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.